Welcome to Paradigm Swap. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author and musician. Today we're going to start a series which may or may not be in consecutive order. There may be other shows in between, but we're going to start talking about the Enneagram. And we're going to take an episode for each of the nine numbers in the Enneagram personality profile. Now, if you're familiar with the color code profile or the uh, Myers-Briggs uh, personality profile or any of those kinds of things this is the idea that the Enneagram is and people will claim oh it's centuries old and so forth but if you really look into the history it's really only a hundred something years old-ish um, based on you know or, or at least it's only been in the past few decades that we've had it as it is now and it was modified over the years prior to that and prior to a hundred whatever years ago it was a lot different than it is now so i don't i don't like to say that it's centuries old like some would like to say but it is kind of an amalgamation of of different psychological ideas and so forth and it takes personalities and breaks them up into nine different types which are also broke up into three different um, focuses. And we'll get a little bit more into that. Um, but let me just say that it will really take all nine episodes in order to really give a broad view of what this is like. I am no expert in the Enneagram. Again, I am a paradigm collector. I'm somebody who likes to learn how to think differently about things and the Enneagram, I think, is, from what I've seen, the most powerful of the personality types, uh, type systems, methodologies, because it doesn't just say, this is how you are. It says, here's your, kind of where your base is, your foundation is generally, here's where you struggle, here's where your strengths are, here's where you're going to struggle, here's where you may run into trouble, and here's some of the things that you have a tendency to do to cope with the struggles and challenges that you have and here's a healthier approach to that and so forth it's a it's a very much more personal development profile system than it is just a labeling system you know you look at the myers-briggs and it's kind of saying these are your strengths and weaknesses bam this is you you know, and, and of course, everybody's going to be unique in their own take on it. And some people really enjoy that because of that. But the Enneagram is a personality development system. And up until, um, oh, I don't know, a decade and a half ago or so, the Enneagram was considered kind of a therapeutic system that was used with the individual. So you'd get some Enneagram expert. And Enneagram, the word just means nine point. Um, so an Enneagram would be a, like a nine-sided shape, okay? Um, just like you got a polygon and, and all those things like that. Um, an Enneagram is a nine-sided shape. But those nine sides are just personalities, okay? Um, anyway, so, so don't think it's some weird, you know, uh, astrological thing or something. It's sometimes confused with that because of the use of of the nine-sided whatever, I don't know. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, so it used to be something that was given privately. It wasn't something you go around saying, I'm a, I'm a nine, I'm a three, you know, what are you? And stuff, it was... It was something that this, some kind of therapist, this Enneagram expert, would sit down with you, work with you to help you understand what your number is. They wouldn't tell you what it was. It wasn't like they were an authority stating, based on the testing, based on what I can see, this is what you are. It was more like, here's what I have to offer, and here's what I see in front of me, correct me if I'm wrong, and here's what the different numbers represent. Which one do you feel is most representative of you? And so if you're going to get into this and you're interested in the Enneagram, don't assume that taking a test gives you your number. That is not how a number is received. A number is something that's, you know, of the Enneagram. It's it's just who you are, but identifying which one best matches you is a journey. Okay, don't take it as a, you know, this is who I am. And you can do five tests and you will get different responses for the different tests. I, I've come out four different primary numbers uh, based on the four tests that I've taken. Um, and true that, that probably two of them came out with the answer that I concluded I am, but um, they don't represent who I am. They may just help me to, as I begin this journey of trying to learn. And I call this a journey because one of the things that I find useful about the Enneagram, learning about the Enneagram and identifying your number within the Enneagram, is that it helps you to see some blind spots that you may not have otherwise seen. In my number, there claims about my number that I was like, no, but that's not me at all. That's not me at all. And I started asking around and started kind of looking deeply and it's kind of like, well, actually, you know, and I was like, but, but how come I never noticed this? You know, <laughs> that kind of idea. So today we're going to start with the Enneagram one and the information that I'm going to be reading from today is from the Enneagram Institute at EnneagramInstitute.com. All you have to do is go to EnneagramInstitute.com to uh, read up these details and so forth. And Enneagram, because everybody's like, what did you just say when, when they first hear it, is spelled E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. Enneagram, okay? Ennea means nine, so... Okay, and I will say also, and I and we'll, you know, I'm I'm kind of trying to take this organically rather than giving you the big picture and and with all its details and ramifications, and then going into um, the individual um, numbers after that because that's just going to get you bored before we even get started. I will say that there are different. Um, if, whatever your number is, there is likely another number that you act like when you're stressed or under pressure, and there is a different number that you are likely to act like when you are feeling secure and comfortable and life is good. You know, basically, you're just, when you're in a growth mindset kind of thing, and you will lean toward this number. Um, so, let's start with number one. And these numbers, 1 through 9, are not in this order because of any particular reason at all. 
this is really supposed to be a circle. Imagine a circle, one through nine, kind of like a clock, with just nine um, numbers, and it's going around and around. It's not, um, you know, it's it's not like this is type one personality or or the biggest or the anything. It's just number one. It's just the first. Could have labeled these something entirely different, which many people have, but this is just a way of keeping simple track of the different personalities. Number one, sometimes called the reformer, sometimes also called the perfectionist, um, the self-controlled, purposeful, principled, if that gives you a little bit of a, a broad view of this. Now, in order to fully understand all the things that I'm saying, you're going to want to hear all nine of these episodes. So, and then um, listen to all the episodes, see what you most identify with, and then go back to the one that you think is probably you and see the ones that you your number tends to go toward in stress or go toward in growth or or in security, whatever. And if that's not making sense, again, just hang in there. Let's try to keep this organic. Okay, so type one in brief, according to the Enneagram Institute. Ones are conscientious and ethical with a strong sense of right and wrong. They are teachers, crusaders, and advocates for change, always striving to improve things, but afraid of making mistakes. Well-organized, orderly, and fastidious, they try to maintain high standards, but can slip into being critical and perfectionist. They typically have problems with resentment and patience, and impatience, I'm sorry. At their best, they are wise, discerning, realistic, and noble. They can be moral uh, morally heroic. Their basic fear of being corrupt, evil, or defective. Their basic desire to be good, to have integrity, to be balanced. Enneagram 1 with a 9 wing is the idealist, and Enneagram 1 with a 2 wing is the advocate. Now you're going to hear a lot in these things about wings, okay? Whatever your number is, now to, just so you don't get confused, as I did when I first started studying this several years ago, um, a wing is kind of like a secondary number that you have, kind of like a secondary personality. However, they call it wings because you can only be, and I don't know why this is, um, but um, as far as wings are concerned, you can only be the number to your right or to your left, which means that if you are a one, you are either, you either have a two wing or you have a nine wing. Remember, this is a circle, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So you can either have a, uh, a nine wing or a two wing if you're a one. Don't ask me why exactly that's the case. There's something about the way it's laid out so that the personalities are more likely to overlap on those numbers. I don't quite get it, but that's that's just how they label that. Okay, so um, key motivations of a one. They want to be right, to strive higher and improve everything, to be consistent with their ideals, to justify themselves, to be beyond criticism so as to not be condemned by anyone. And the meaning of the arrows in brief. When moving in the direction of disintegration or stress... So this is that whole thing when a one is stressed out or they're under too much pressure or they're overwhelmed in some way. Critical ones 
become more spontaneous and joyful, like healthy sevens. So they go to seven in security. So when they're doing good, they act more like a seven. They tend to, anyway. Okay, so you can learn more about the arrows on the website. We'll probably talk about it at some point. I, and I'm, I don't want to go too much into the details about the uh, the different three-way things and the, the arrows pointing and so forth until maybe the end. Maybe we can have a follow-up after you've kind of got a feel for this stuff. So here's some examples of who, of people who they suspect are ones. They can't be certain unless they tell us themselves, but uh, they suspect that Confucius, Plato, Salahuddin Ayubi, Joan of Arc, Sir Thomas More, Mahatma Gandhi, Pope John Paul II, Nelson Mandela, Margaret Thatcher, Prince Charles, Kate Middleton, Duchess of Cambridge, Jimmy Carter, Michelle Obama, Al Gore, Hillary Clinton, Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani, yeah, Elliot Spitzer, uh, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, Osama bin Laden, George Bernard Shaw, Thoreau, Dr. Jack uh, Kevorkian, Anita Roddick, The Body Shop, I guess that's where they're from, whatever, Martha Stewart, Chef Thomas Keller, Michio Kuchi, or Kushi, um, Macrobiotics, uh, George Harrison, Joan Baez, uh, Celine Dion, Ralph Nader, uh, Noam Chomsky, Bill Moyers, George F. Will, William F. Buckley, Keith Olbermann, Olbermann Jerry Seinfeld, Bill Maher, Tina Fey, Catherine Hepburn, Maggie Smith, Emma Thompson, Julie Andrews, uh, Vanessa Redgrave, Jane Fonda, Meryl Streep, Harrison Ford, Helen Hunt, Captain Sully Sullenberger, Mary Poppins, uh, and this is a few uh, fictional ones, Mary Poppins, Mr. Spock, and S&L's The Church Lady. Now, I'm not familiar with all of those names, but probably over half of them I am. That sounds about right. Unless it sound like you're just, le you know, um, reading out a bunch of leaders, number ones are often very powerful leaders because of their sense of rightness and so forth. And uh, anyway, okay, so the type one overview. We've named personality type one the reformer because ones have a sense of mission that leads them to want to improve the world in various ways, using whatever degree of influence they have. They strive to overcome adversity, particularly moral adversity, so that the human spirit can shine through and make a difference. They strive after higher values, even at the cost of personal sac great personal sacrifice. History is full of ones who have left comfortable lives to do something extraordinary because they felt that something higher was calling them. During the Second World War, Raoul Wallenberg left a comfortable middle-class life to work for the protection of thousands of European Jews from invaded Nazis. In India, Gandhi left behind his wife and his family and a life of a successful lawyer to become an itinerant advocate of Indian independence and non-violent non social change. Joan of Arc left her village in France to restore the throne to the Dauphin and to expel the English from the country. 
the idealism of each of these ones has inspired millions. Ones are people of practical action. They wish to be useful in the best sense of the word. On some level of consciousness, they feel that they have a mission to fulfill in life, if only to try their best to reduce the disorder they see in their environment. Although ones have a strong sense of purpose, they also typically feel that they have to justify their actions to themselves, and often to others as well. This orientation causes ones to spend a lot of time thinking about the consequences of their actions, as well as about how to keep from acting contrary to their convictions. Because of this, ones often persuade themselves that they are head types. And we'll talk about the types. There's head, gut, and feeling types. So, they often try to persuade themselves that they are head types, rationalists, who proceed only on logic and objective truth. But the real picture is somewhat different. Ones are actually activists who are searching for an acceptable rationale for what they feel they must do. They are people of instinct and passion who are who use convictions and judgments to control and direct themselves and their actions. In the effort to stay true to their principles, ones resist being affected by their instinctual drives, consciously not giving in to them or expressing them too freely. The result is a personality type that has problems with repression, resistance, and aggression. They are usually seen by others as highly self-controlled, even rigid, although this is not how ones experience themselves. It seems to them they are sitting on a cauldron of passions and desires, and they had better keep the lid on, lest they and everyone else around them regret it. Cassandra is a therapist in private practice who recalls the difficulty this caused her in her youth. I remember in high school getting feedback that I had no feelings. Inside, I felt my feelings intensely, and yet I just couldn't let them out as intensely as I felt them. Even now, if I, had a con- if I have a conflict with a friend and need to address an issue, I rehearse ahead of time how to express clearly what I want, need, and observe, and yet not be harsh or blaming in my anger, which is often scathing. That's the end of her quote. Ones believe that being strict with themselves and eventually becoming perfect will justify them in, the, in their own eyes and in the eyes of others. But by attempting to create their own brand of perfection, they often create their own personal hell. Instead of agreeing with the statement in Genesis that God saw what he created and it was good, ones intensely feel that it wasn't. There obviously has been some mistake here. This orientation makes it difficult for them to trust their inner guidance, indeed to trust life. So ones come to readily or to rely heavily on their superego, a learned voice from their childhood, to guide them toward the greater good, which they so passionately seek. When ones have gotten completely entranced in their personality, there is little distinction between them and the severe, unforgiving voice. Separating from it and seeing its genuine strengths and limitations is what growth for ones is about. Okay. Um, let me talk just briefly about that 
voice that it, it's saying when they get too deep into their personality, um, this voice can become severe and unforgiving. I have heard it said that ones have this constant voice. Some people um, describe it as real as if they could actually hear it, that it, you know, it's something that they are actually saying in their heads or that it's, it's a voice that is, you know, it just comes uninvited, so to speak. And what it does is it's constantly telling them what's wrong in any given situation. So it will, it will say, you didn't brush your hair long enough. You didn't wear the right clothes. You haven't been working out enough. You've been doing this or you haven't done that right or whatever. And it will sometimes do it around what other people are doing. You know, that, that person is wrong. That's that, you know, they shouldn't be doing that or that, that, you know, and, and basically it's this voice that's like constantly critical. And if they're in a healthy state, they have learned to, you know, it comes, that voice just comes, but they've learned to just kind of ignore it uh, when it's not of use or help to them and so forth. But this, this is the thing that seems to stand out about the ones. Everybody's trying to do things the right way, but they have different ideas of what the right thing is or what the right motivation is and so forth. No, ones more than just about anyone else are trying to get things just right. Ones are the kind of people who, if you have a little mustard on the edge of your lip, they will always tell you. They will just tell you because, you know, if, if, uh, if you ask them, why, why do you worry about that? It doesn't matter. You know, it's not a big deal. They say, well, I would want you to tell me. I wouldn't want that to just be there without my knowledge and so forth, which of course, mustard on the mouth is not a fault thing, but it's something that to be critical about. And so they will draw attention to it, or at least they feel uh, morally obligated to. And of course, if it's a moral type of an issue, you know, doing that is wrong, you know, or, or we should be standing up for that person, they will be the first to want to do that, to stand up for them, to, to step up, and, and therefore they can be great heroes, um, but they can see right quickly anything that's wrong in a situation. These are the kind of people that would be good in a, a critique group, a writing critique group, if you really want hardcore feedback saying, this word is clunky, the story just doesn't flow well, this character is inconsistent, you know, giving you all this feedback. If you've got a one who knows their stuff about writing, they will get it all out to you, and you'll know everything wrong with your stuff, <laughs> which probably could be exhausting, but, uh, but it can also be extremely helpful. So, okay, we talked about um, um, how there, you know, is these different numbers that they act like in stress or in health and so forth. Um, there is this idea of, of people acting out according to their number um, in healthy ways and in unhealthy ways. And sometimes this can be, you know, different hour by hour, but then sometimes they will become kind of their personality for several months or even years based on how healthy they are in their personality. So, so here's what the website says about the different levels of development. Healthy levels. At level one, 
um, ones become extraordinarily wise and discerning. By accepting what is, they become transcendently realistic, knowing the best action to take in each moment. Humane, inspiring, and hopeful. The truth will be heard. Level 2. Conscientious with strong personal convictions. They have an intense sense of right and wrong, personal, religious, and moral values. They wish to be rational, reasonable, self-disciplined, mature, and moderate in all things. Level 3. Extremely principled, always want to be fair, objective, and ethical. Truth and justice are primary values. Sense of responsibility, personal integrity, and have a higher purpose often make, having a higher purpose, often make them teachers and witnesses to the truth. Okay, that is, those were the healthy levels if, if uh, one is, is in a healthy place in their personality. At the average levels, which are levels four through six, level four, they are dissatisfied with reality. They become high-minded idealists, feeling it is up to them to improve everything. They are crusaders, advocates, critics, into causes and explaining to others how things ought to be. Level 5. Afraid of making a mistake. Everything must be consistent with their ideals. Become orderly and well-organized, but impersonal, puritanical, emotionally constricted, rigidly keeping their feelings and impulses in check. Often workaholics. Anal compulsive, uh, punctual, pedantic, and fastidious. At level 6, they are highly critical of both self and others. Picky, judgmental, perfectionist, or perfectionistic. Very opinionated on everything, correcting people and badgering them to do the right thing as they see it. Impatient, never satisfied with anything unless it is done according to their prescriptions. Moralizing, scolding, abrasing, or sorry, abrasive, and indignantly angry. Okay, and at the unhealthy levels, which are levels 7, 8, and 9, um, so 9 being the worst. Level 7, uh, they can be highly dogmatic, self-righteous, intolerant, and inflexible. Begin dealing in absolutes. They alone know the truth. Everyone else is wrong. Very severe in judgments while rationalizing their own actions. Level 8, they become obsessive about imperfection and the wrongdoings of others. Although they may fall into contradictory actions, hypocritically doing the opposite of what they preach. And level 9, which of course is the most unhealthy level, they become condemnatory toward others, punitive and cruel to rid themselves of wrongdoers, severe depressions, nervous breakdowns, and suicide attempts are likely. Generally corresponds to the obsessive, compulsive, and depressive personality disorders. So that is the... Uh, you know, at their best, going into their worst ones. Here are some um, personal growth recommendations for Enneagram Type 1s. And again, this is on EnneagramInstitute.com. Learn to relax. Take some time for yourself without feeling that everything is up to you or that you do not accomplish, or that what you do not accomplish will result in chaos and disaster. Mercifully, the salvation of the world does not depend on you alone, even though you may sometimes feel it does. 
You have a lot to teach others and are probably a good teacher, but do not expect others to change immediately. What is obvious to you may not be as obvious to them, especially if they are not used to being as self-disciplined and objective about themselves as you are about yourself. Many people may also want to do what is right and may agree with you in principle, but for various reasons simply cannot change right away. The fact that others do not change immediately according to your prescriptions does not mean that they will not change sometimes in the future. Your words, and above all, your example, may do more than you realize, although they may take longer than you expect. So have patience. It is easy for you to work yourself into a lather about wrongdoings of others, and it may sometimes be true that they are wrong. But what is it to you? Your irritation with them will do nothing to help them see their way of being, see another way of being. Similarly, Beware of your constant irritation with your own shortcomings. Does your own harsh self-criticism really help you improve? Or does it simply make you tense, nervous, and self-doubting? Learn to realize the attacks of your superego and how they undermine rather than help you. It is important for you to get in touch with your feelings, particularly your unconscious impulses. You may find that you are uneasy with your emotions and your sexual and aggressive impulses, in short, with the messy human things that make us human. It may be beneficial to keep a journal or get into some type of group therapy or other group work, both to develop your emotions and to see that others will not condemn you for having human needs and limitations. Your Achilles heel is your self-righteous anger. You get angry easily and are offended by what seems to you to be the perverse refusal of others to do the right thing as you have defined it. Try to step back and see your anger, see that your anger alienates people so that they cannot hear many of the good things you have to say. Further, your own repressed anger may well be giving you an ulcer or high blood pressure and is a harbinger of worse things to come. Okay, if you want to read more about that and see some of the links and so forth on the Enneagram One, you can go to enneagraminstitute.com slash type hyphen one. Okay, and one point that I wanted to make that uh, it doesn't really say in there, we talked a little bit about the wings and how uh, uh, Enneagram One will have either a two wing or a nine wing um, and, or a balance of the two wings. And just to give you a little bit of a, a spoiler on those, simply because we are talking about the one, the nine is the peacemaker, the one that just wants to maintain peace there. They tend to be very rather introverted and agreeable with everyone. Um, that's the short of it. Num number twos are very emotional and sense the emotional uh, sense in any room. They could walk into a room and look around and probably tell you the general emotions of just about anybody in the room. They just have a sense of that. And often they can become so um, concerned and, um, you know, thinking so much about the feelings of others that they get kind of lost in others' emotions and sometimes don't even know their emotions because they're so wrapped in 
up in the emotions of others. So it's not just that they're emotional, it's that they're very other people centered. Sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a not good way, depending on their healthy, the health of their personality at the time. So that gives a little bit of a uh, rundown of the one personality. Um, and we're going to talk next time about the two personality and we'll go through all of the numbers and then hopefully if you are just starting to learn about the Enneagram and don't know much about it, listen to all of the, uh, the different numbers and do some internet research on the different Enneagram numbers and, and what they mean. And what you'll find is that they provide you with both, you know, a sense of, okay, I'm not crazy. This is just what my personality um, type is like. And also a sense of some of your blind spots, a sense of, oh, other people think differently than I do. We all know that, but when they behave so incredibly differently and react to things so incredibly differently, we're often left thinking, why are they doing that? Why? How could somebody even come to that conclusion about something? But once you know the different personality types, you start realizing, oh, they're looking from a very different paradigm. Their life is very different than mine because they operate on a different level. And those levels are not better or worse than each other. They're just different. And anyone operating in an unhealthy place is going to make unhealthy and unwise decisions. It doesn't matter what their number is. But uh, the way that manifests is going to show differently based on their personality. So I think that's one of the reasons I find the Enneagram such an interesting paradigm. Because it's a way of seeing personalities and the way, uh, a way of seeing people in the world very differently than you might otherwise and I think that's important because the fact is we are different. And the sooner we recognize that and recognize that it's not a good versus bad personality, um, you know, the better personalities, the worst personalities and so forth, it has nothing to do with that. The more we will be able to look at each other and at least understand each other to a little bit better level. Personality profiles is one way to do that. And since Enneagram is the one that I find most useful in that way, that's why we're focusing on that here on Paradigm Swap. So if you would like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash Chaz Hathaway and become an ongoing monthly contributor. If you donate $15 or more, You'll find most of my stuff, music, books, and so forth, available in digital format, available to you for free download. Okay, that's just a way of say, for me of saying thank you. I kind of think of it as a sort of a Netflix type of idea. You know, you pay 15 bucks a month and you can have access to all my stuff. Basically, as it comes out, I put the new stuff on as well, so... You know, it, it will be updating whenever there's new things available. Now, I will say things like podcast episodes, they are not up on there because they are available for free on the podcast. And if there are things that you, you know, if you join and you find that uh, there's something that you know I have, a, a sheet music book or something that you know is not on there, 
please let me know. I intend to have them up there, and I could have missed a few things. That was not intentional, if you find it to be so. Anyway, thank you so much, you guys, for listening.